Well, a very warm welcome to our service here this morning at Forest Fold. Welcome to everybody. It's so good to be here, good to meet together again. The week flashes by so quick, doesn't it? But it's good to be here. And uh, this coming week, all being well, we are celebrating our church anniversary. Um, on a day like this, 190 years ago, uh, and you'd walked, and uh, you were sitting on hay bales, might be more comfortable, um, and a nice breeze blowing through the stone or wooden barn building with a daylight through the roof, and people met here then to worship God. And, um, and all the years have gone by, and we have so much to thank God for that every year, for 190 years, uh, every Sunday, uh, people here have preached from the Bible, have told people the truth and the good news about Jesus. And that's something to celebrate, I think it is. And um, so... Join us on Thursday evening, and the time of uh, starting all being where seven o'clock, not half seven. And we've got Luke Crowter, who's coming to preach for us, and that's seven o'clock on Thursday. So it'd be good to have you here with us then. I'm aware that some of you won't be here, so why don't we pray now and give thanks uh, for God's faithfulness to us, Lord God, our heavenly Father. We thank you that we can meet once again here this morning. We thank you for your faithfulness to this church over 190 years. Thank you for faithful men who, who were so moved by what the Bible said that they wanted to share it with others. Who were so touched by the wonderful grace of God through the gospel that they couldn't keep quiet about it but had to tell people. Thank you for those who, who made the effort, uh, not just on sunny days like this, but in the cold and depth of winter, to be here to hear the word of God. We pray that today as we meet, we've come here probably easily in transport, we have so many comforts around us, but we pray that there'll be that same eagerness and uh, appetite in our heart for your word and for what you have to say to us. So Lord, we thank you for your many blessings to this church. Thank you that we can be a part of it in this time in history and as we look forward to the future we pray that always from this place a clear faithful uh, preaching of your truth will be heard in this place and that many people will find the Lord Jesus Christ here. Amen. Well if, if, you, if you would like a heartwarming story of grace and mercy We've got it this morning in the passage we're looking at in the Bible. And uh, God's grace truly is amazing. And if, if you're saved, if you're a Christian, uh, you'll find that out as you go through life. How amazing God's grace is to you. Uh, that though you were lost, though you were blind, now you see, now you are saved. And we're going to sing Amazing Grace as our first hymn. So when the music starts, do stand to sing. And after that, straight away, the children... Uh, welcome to come up the front for the children's talk.
Good. Great to see you again this morning, children. Good. Right, have you got your brains with you this morning? A bit of thinking to do. But first of all, do you know what I found in the bin a couple of weeks ago? found three of these. It's Actamel. It's like a diluted yoghurt. But there was nothing. The lid was still on top. Just thrown in the bin. Anyone any idea why they were thrown in the bin? Yeah. Out of date. Yeah. So what, what's the date on this? 28th of May. That's right, yeah. So it's a few days out of date, isn't it? And um, so they put in the bin. Did you have a panic in your house? <gasps> the milk is one day before, it's best before date. We all panic. Oh, it's gone off. I'm not going to touch that. Uh, perhaps you don't look at it much, but maybe the, the main thing is the milk on your cereals, because uh, it's not very nice if it's gone off, is it? And uh, so you get used by dates, and they're quite important for things like meat and fish. You don't want anything that's, that's got really old like that. But there are other things where you can sort of do a little test on them. And it's what I try and do in our house. So, right, well, look, it is close to its use-by date, uh, or it's gone past its best-before date or whatever. Um, but you can do this test, all right? This might be a good, good one for you. So, say, if it looks okay, if it smells okay, if it tastes okay, it is okay. Yeah? That saves a lot of wasted food. Because some stuff like this is absolutely fine. Absolutely fine. And you can do the test. You can say, well, it looks fine when I open it. Yeah, it smells okay. Yeah, it tastes, tastes about as bad as it does when it's in date. And, um, and so it is okay. Um, that's a good guideline to, to use. So really, you're using your brain and the senses that God's given you. What about this? Some bread. No. Oh, that's, that's failed on the first test, hasn't it? So does it look okay? Well, the answer is no. It's no good. And you could say, does it smell okay? No, I don't think you'd try the third test, would you? Okay. What about, what about these? Bananas. Would you eat those? Yeah? They don't look quite as appetising as normal, nice and yellow, do they? And raise it. So they've been bruised, getting a bit old. I'll tell you what, they'd be good in a smoothie, but you could say, well, it doesn't look great, but it smells fine. And yeah, it tastes okay. So you're using the guide to make a decision, what you do with it. And like I said before, this is the other one, isn't it? Mm. The date says, yeah, that's milk. And uh, the date's a bit close. Well, it it smells okay. And you taste it. Yeah, it's okay. It's fine to eat, drink. Put on your cereals. Um, Or if it's smelling a bit, perhaps it's best we leave that. And you use that guide. And, And so the question is, is there a guide in life that helps me to and you um, to, to decide not about whether food's good or bad, but whether something is good or bad, a decision or a thing to do is bad. And it's wonderful, isn't it, that we can see and we can use our senses, we can smell and we can taste and make that decision. But you know what? God's given us something else that's inside of us. Anyone know what that's called? That helps us choose between doing something good or something bad. You want to know what that's called? Our, it's called our conscience. So all of us have got a conscience. And, and that's a, a guide for us that God's given us. So it's really, it's like being aware of something good or something bad. Now, if somebody has a really bad knock to the head, they go what we call unconscious, don't they? They might be on the floor and, and we have to try and help them out. And, and they're just not aware of what's going on, are they? 
But all of us in this room, as far as I can see, are conscious. We're all alert. We can, we're aware of what's going on around us. Well, our conscience is a bit like that. God has given us, and some people describe it as a, a bit of a voice in your mind or a feeling about something. So let's use an example. Um, your mum and dad said, right, the, the chocolates on top of the fridge are for your friend's birthday. Don't touch them. Okay, but it's all quiet. And you go in and you think, I really would like that chocolate. And your conscience says to you in your mind, no, you mustn't, you mustn't do that. That would be the wrong thing to do. But you say, I really want the chocolate. And you go and you take it. And then afterwards, hopefully, you feel guilty. You say, oh, no, I shouldn't have done it. And then my friend hasn't got anything. And that's called a guilty conscience. So your conscience was guiding you to do something or not to do something. And you said, no, I'm not going to listen. And afterwards, you feel guilty. But also, our conscience helps us when we do good things. So you have a fight, fight at school with perhaps some of your friends. You're not involved, but you get blamed. Have you had that? Yeah, you've got told off for something you didn't do. And that's hard, but inside you don't feel guilty because you have a clear conscience. Because you did the right thing. Okay, now what's this? Tell me what this is. Who's got one of these in their house? What does it do? Can you tell us what it does? Turns on the light. Yeah, it's a switch. But what kind of switch is it? Yeah? Yeah, it changes the brightness. So when it's down low... The lights are dim. When it's up full, it's nice and bright. Okay. Now, as we grow up, and as we develop and grow up, our conscience grows up with us. And the Bible says that um, we can... Well, the Bible doesn't actually say this, but the Bible says what I'm going to say next. <laughs> Don't quote me. But we, we can do this with our conscience. We can say, nah, I want the conscience turned right down. So perhaps, perhaps you're tempted to... Uh, start using bad language at school and you feel guilty about doing that a few times. Say, so, no, I don't want to just turn my conscience right down. I don't want to hear my conscience. I'm going to block my conscience out. And the Bible says that we're like burning it out. We're searing it off. So we're not affected by our conscience anymore. And that's a, a bad route to go down because the gift that God's given us to decide between right and wrong, we're turning it down and going our own way. And that's really bad for us. David, in the Bible, said, I have hidden your word in my heart so that I don't sin against you. You see, because as we grow up, our conscience grows up. Our conscience needs feeding with good stuff. Our minds need feeding with good stuff. And, and David was like strapping the, the dimmer switch to the Bible and he said, I'm going to put this on full. I want the full brightness of God's word in my heart, in my mind, so that I hear a clear voice to lead me to do the right thing and to turn away from doing the wrong thing. You know, when we turn all this down, when we say, I don't want God, I don't want the Bible, then it's a downward curve, it's a downward spiral, and we go away from God. Okay, so try and remember that. God's gift to us is our conscience, and it needs feeding with God's word. We need to... We need to listen in Sunday school, we need to listen in church. Try and get your parents to read the Bible to you, to fill you with the truth of God's word. And that will really help you, so that when you make the bigger decisions in your life, your conscience will be there, guiding you and helping you. But more importantly, God's word. Just finish. I wonder, I wonder how often you have a guilty conscience. 
So what, what's that? Well, that's feeling bad about when, I do, when you do something wrong. And uh, guilty conscience is, becomes like a heavy burden to some people, especially when you're older. Carrying guilt around is a big weight. It makes you feel very sad. It makes you feel very bad. Uh, and, but the good news in the Bible is that Jesus, what Jesus did on the cross through his death, is able to wash our guilty conscience. And in Hebrews it says about our evil consciences being cleaned. So it's like we have a brand new start. And forgiveness is so much what we need. That's a great, great thing, isn't it? So God bless you as you grow up. And as you develop, not just in your bodies, and grow up big and tall and useful and clever, but that God will give you a heart of wisdom that will affect your conscience, that helps you make the decisions in your life, and keep this fully turned up. God's word will really help you and bless you. Good. Well done for listening. That was great. So would you want to go and sit down? Well, before we sing again, let's pray. Lord God, our Heavenly Father, we uh, come to you this morning. We thank you that indeed you are our Father. As we were thinking in home groups and last Sunday evening, what a privilege it is to have that relationship with the living God that we can call him our Father. But Lord, we also say, hallowed be your name, because the relationship between us is of father and children, but, but you are so much higher than us. Your word says that your throne is, that, that the heavens are your throne, and that this earth is like a resting place for your feet. You are so great and so awesome. You are eternal. You are everything we are not in righteousness and purity and holiness. And so, Lord, we bow to you with reverence and respect and honour this morning. There is no one like you, and every breath that we draw is a gift from you. Every heartbeat is given by you. And so, Lord, we should humble ourselves before the living God. As we live a life of frailty, at best, of few days, of struggles, of trials, of an inward rebellion and turning away from the one who made us. And so, Lord, not only do we humble ourselves, but we ask for your mercy upon us. We thank you that though you are so another from us, yet you are Emmanuel, God with us. And in sending the Lord Jesus Christ, your son, to live among us and to die for us, you displayed the greatest love that God would lay down his life for sinners. And that's what we are. Thank you that your mercy and your grace is offered to each one of us through the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, would you wake us up to see our great need of you? We have struggled in our lives for too long to please ourselves. We have fought against your grace and your mercy for too long. 
And why would we do that? Lord, by your Spirit's power, open up our hearts, perhaps for the first time, that we might, by faith, receive Jesus Christ, turn from our sin, put our trust in him, and live a decent life for God that brings him honour. Lord, would you help us do that? Help us to forsake our sin and turn away from it, because your word tells us that it leads us to hell. And so, Lord, by your wonderful grace, may we know the power of the gospel in our hearts for the first time or for the hundredth time. Lord, how we thank you that you do not treat us how we deserve, but you are patient, you are long-suffering with us, abounding in mercy and grace. Lord, we are thankful for the lives that you've given us the many blessings that you've filled our lives with through this past week. We owe everything to you and we thank you for it. Lord, we thank you for the different things that have happened throughout this last week. We thank you for the Hope Explored course on Tuesday. We thank you for First Tuesdays. We thank you for First Steps on Thursdays. And we thank you for Sunday School and Rooted this morning. Across the whole age range where you've been looking to share the good news of Jesus, to build up uh, the community of Forest Fold, of relationship with others, that we might share the gospel with them. And we're doing it for you, Lord. We want to serve you. We want to honour you. We want others to hear the good news. Uh, but without your blessing, without your spirit being at work, uh, we are um, we're struggling. We're doing very little. Lord, we pray that you might... Uh, graciously work among the different ministers of this church. Lord, that children will be taught your truth, that those who have come to the later days of their life will, will seek and find the Saviour. Lord, bless those who work hard uh, in these different groups each week, each month. Lord, give them the energy and the strength they need. We pray you'd bless them and help them. And Lord, for others of us who are less involved, but Lord, hopefully in prayer, help our prayers to be uh, in faith. Help us to be persistent in prayer for the life of this church. Lord, we pray for our young people at the moment, many of them um, revising, many of them are doing exams. Lord, help them through this time. We pray that they would look to you for your help and, and a trust in you. And Lord, that we can leave our concerns. We can leave that exam that went nowhere near how we wanted it to go. We can leave our uh, unpreparedness in revision to you if we've done our best. Lord, help us to um, help them to rest in you. And Lord, those who are thinking of the future and have absolutely no idea of what they want to do, Lord, pray that you'd guide them and help them in their thinking. Help them to see the talents that you've given them, to develop them. Lord, most of all, help our young people, help our children to seek you first. And all the things that we need will be added to us, as Jesus promised. Lord, we pray this morning for those who are in and out of hospital at the moment. Lord, we pray for Hillary, uh, among others, who have um, difficulties with their health, mentally, physically, and the different struggles of life. Lord, we pray for your healing hand upon them. We pray for those who are expecting operations, that that will go well. 
And Lord, we ask that you will help us as we care for each other and as we pray for each other. Lord, we commit to you this morning the young family in their uh, sad and tragic loss this last week. Lord, we ask that you will greatly comfort them. We pray for Harriet and the children. And we ask, Lord, that you would be close to them. Lord, we thank you that David said that though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And the reason he gives is because you are with him. And so, Lord, as this dear family and others throughout this year have suffered great loss, we pray that as they walk through the valley of the shadow of death themselves and in a way, that you would be with them and bless them at this time. Lord, we commit to you our government. We pray, Lord, just that you'd have mercy on us. Our leaders who say one thing and do another, show their sinfulness in their humanness. We pray that you'd give them wisdom. We pray that you'd have mercy on them. And Lord, as our country has just constantly thrown away the good and accepted the evil, Lord, would you please have mercy. We pray for days again where, perhaps like Nebuchadnezzar, who was just so humbled from his proud, arrogant attitude, and he said, there's no one like the living God. He's the true governor. He's the true sovereign. Oh, Lord, we pray for days again like that, that people will turn to you, that the the blessings of that will be reaped by our nation, that many will be turned to Christ. We pray for struggling churches who are so few in number and have had so few encouragements and yet are faithfully preaching the gospel. Lord, we ask that you'd help them to remain faithful, that you'd encourage them and bless them in what might be discouraging days. Bless preachers, Lord. We ask that those who might be tempted to Um, change the message to make it more suitable or for churches who might be thinking of entertaining to get people in. Lord, we know that your blessing won't be there. We pray for godly men to be faithful to the truth and that many people will hear the truth and be convicted by the work of the Spirit in them. So Lord, as we come to look at your word this morning, help John as he preaches for us, Lord, open our hearts to receive your word, we pray. Bless each one gathered here with all our different needs. Lord, watch over us as we go through another week. Help us to rely daily on your strength because your word says that your grace is sufficient for every day. So Lord, help us to draw from that in faith from you. Amen. We're going to sing our next hymn now. Uh, It's a a great oldie and and it's a, uh, a loved hymn by many here I know. It's all about God's mercy. Your mercy, my God, is the theme of my song, the joy of my heart and the boast of my tongue. And after this, James Russell will come and lead us in the Bible reading.
reading this morning comes from 2 Kings and it's chapter 1 verses 1 to 23. So that's 2 Kings chapter 1 verses 1 to 23. Now the sons of the prophets said to Elisha, see the place where we dwell under your charge is too small for us. Let us go to the Jordan and each of us get there a log, and let us make a place for us to dwell there. And he answered, Go. Then one of them said, Be pleased to go with your servants. And he answered, I will go. So he went with them. And when they came to the Jordan, they cut down trees. But as one of them was felling a log, his axe head fell into the water, and he cried out, Alas, my master! It was borrowed. Then the man of God said, Where did it fall? When he showed him the place, he cut off a stick and threw it in there and made the iron float. And he said, Take it up. So he reached out his hand and took it. Once when the king of Syria was warring against Israel, he took counsel with his servants, saying, At such and such a place shall be my camp. But the man of God sent word to the king of Israel, Beware that you do not pass this place, 
for the Syrians are going down there. And the king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God told him. Thus he used to warn him so that he saved himself there more than once or twice. And the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me who of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. And he said, Go and see where he is, that I may send and seize him. It was told him, Behold, he is in Dothan. So he sent their horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? He said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And when the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Please strike this people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. And Elisha said to them, This is not the way, and this is not the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. And he led them to Samaria. As soon as they entered Samaria, Elisha said, O Lord, open the eyes of these men, that they may see. So the Lord opened their eyes, and they saw, and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. As soon as the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, My father, shall I strike them down? Shall I strike them down? He answered, You shall not strike them down. Would you strike down those whom you have taken captive with your sword and with your bow? Set bread and water before them that they may eat and drink and go to their master. So he prepared for them a great feast. And when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away. And they went to their master, and the Syrians did not come again on raids into the land of Israel. And so read God's word. Thank you, James. Well, before John preaches for us, we're going to sing another song now, and it's really a a great song for before a sermon. It's really asking that God will teach us, will open up our hearts to his word, um, so not only makes sense to us, but that it comes alive and changes us and affects us. So let's sing this. Now in reverence and awe we gather round your word.
The Koh Noor diamond is uh, one of the biggest in the world, perhaps the most impressive in the world. It's in the crown of the Queen Mother as part of the crown jewels and there's a picture of it nicely displayed up there for us. Originally came from Asia, uh, so who owns it is contested as there is a lot of the uh, old artefacts that we have in this country. And when it came over, it wasn't quite to Western tastes. The light didn't shine through it quite as much as people wanted over here. So it was recut, made it a little bit smaller actually, and recut so that the light could shine through it all the more beautifully and uh, make it sparkle wonderfully as it does today and as you can even see there. So you have a diamond of lots of different facets shining beautifully, impressing us. Well, as we carry on uh, today through the life of Elisha, I find something sparkling which impresses me. Something which has different facets, like a diamond, which shine beautifully as we look at it. Our accounts today that we had read for us shine with the kindness of God. They include God's power. There are miracles going on here as there were at that particular phase with Elisha and Elijah. But it's especially God's kindness, God's saving work, God's sparing, God's mercy, God's love which is shown through this man, this man of God, Elisha. And as we look at these, I want you to enjoy the accounts. They're very enjoyable. I want you to be filled with a sense of wonder. I want you to be impressed by the kindness of God. And I think as we look at them, it can also encourage you in your own sense of need for God's help. As you see what God did then, it might encourage you and, and help you as you pray in your own situation. It was originally written for for those who were in in exile in a difficult time of the national history of Israel and it gave glimmers of hope for them to encourage them to turn to the Lord. But I also hope that it will stir you and I in kindness ourselves. It says in the the New Testament, the end of Ephesians chapter 4, Be kind one to another. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Now, as I looked through this account, these accounts this week, it struck me, uh, it grew as the week went on, I told Mark uh, at the start of the week that I was going to talk about two demonstrations of God's kindness. Well, as I looked at it more, I realised there's four demonstrations of God's kindness in the verses that we read. So we're going to take, we're going to go through them. And we have first, God's kindness to a faithful individual. Kindness to a faithful individual. Now we've come across these uh, sons of the prophets uh, before on our sort of uh, um, journey through the life of Elisha. They're a faithful bunch who are supporting the work of God in difficult times and they're a support to Elisha, and they're learning from him, they're sons of the prophets. And uh, their training centre, or their dorms, we're not quite sure what it is, are obviously not big enough. 
So it's agreed that they do a bit of DIY. And they head off to the area of the Jordan where uh, the trees are going, growing and they cut down some logs so that they can build some larger premises. Elisha is very supportive of the idea and they want him to come along and he chooses to go along as well which proves a good job too as the story unfolds. And when they're cutting down, they're lopping down some of these trees, one of the men, the the head comes loose on his axe, it flies off and it lands in the river, presumably the river Jordan. Well, iron was pricey in those days. This was an expensive bit of kit. And worse than that, it was borrowed. It was borrowed. So imagine you, you, borrow, you, you borrow a friend's car and it's a pretty new one. You know, it's a nice model and you borrow it and you head out and maybe you go to a, a, a car park and you misjudge one of the turnings and you're manoeuvring in the car park. You scraze all the way along the side of it. Think, oh no, it's not even mine. It's a borrowed car. And here's this more poor sort of ministry student, if you like. He's borrowed this axe head. And he faces a difficult conversation. And he faces, presumably, a good few months of debt. So he calls out to Elisha. We're in verse 5, this period, this verses 1 to 7, this episode, verse 5 here. But as one was felling a log, his axe head fell into the water and he cried out, Alas, my master, it was borrowed. Elisha is on the case. But the river is a big river, a muddy river, some depth to it. But in God's miraculous kindness, gravity is suspended. You hear about anti-gravity, anti-gravity suits, if you're into Doctor Who and sci-fi. Anti- well, here is a, a specific episode where God suspends gravity for the sake of this person and the axe head, despite its density, is found floating on the river so that the person can see where it is, he can step in, he can scoop up his axe head. Wonderful episode of the kindness of God. Raising what you don't expect to raise, recovering what seemed lost that spins you off in certain directions, But especially this struck me. This wonderful act of God is sandwiched between um, events, figures which are national and international. And you hear this episode with this individual, this faithful individual. Maybe you've seen the Stuart Little films and... uh, uh, Stuart Little's house, Stuart Little's actually a mouse, but he lives in a house with others and if you can remember the scene, it's a little house and it's stuck between two skyscrapers and then down there is his house. And here you have international scenes and national scenes and you have God's kindness to a little individual tucked in between. I think that's wonderful, don't you? An encouragement to believers, faithful individual in their practical needs to call out to God. My axe head, it was borrowed.
Heaven may be his throne, the earth may be his footstool, but the hairs of our heads are still numbered. We know that God is not a genie to come out at every whim of ours. We know that the age of miracles was especially concentrated at certain times of revelation in the history of the Bible. But God so often, frequently, wonderfully kind to individual practical needs. I've been reading a a book with a friend, a chapter a week, and it's a very good book. It's by Alistair Begg, and it's called Pray Big. It's a very easy read, actually. It encourages you to pray for things that really matter. It's based on some prayers in Ephesians, Pray Big. And it's been stirring, and it's been helpful. We've exchanged comments, and it's done us good. Please do pray big for big things, for spiritual things, for things that really are significant and matter. But may I say to you this morning as well, do also feel free to pray small. Do also feel free to pray small. My axe head has sunk. The Lord who told us to pray, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, also told us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. It's a wonderful aspect of kindness, isn't it? It's thrilled you at times when you've seen it in your life. God's wonderful care and concern for some of our more everyday, mundane, simple but very real needs. Kindness to a faithful individual. We progress, we come to kindness to a failing king. Kindness to a, a failing king. One of the things about the Koh-i-Noor diamond is, um, it especially shows up, as often the case with jewels, and jewellers shops know this, it shows up against a very dark background, a dark backcloth. So you have the, the, the royal dark purple of the crown and it, it glimmers against a dark backcloth, it shows it up. Well, the same is often true of God's kindness, that God's kindness is shining especially on a dark backcloth. And we are here in a dark period of history, really, for Israel. The nation is in bad shape. It is largely forgotten God. It's turned against God, replaced him with other things. And the king, Jehoram, is not an impressive figure. He is spiritually against God. He's not leading the people as he should. He is a failing king. And the nation is actually sliding into judgment. The backcloth is dark. Elisha is actually going to be an instrument of justice for this nation. We have found that earlier in the account and we will see it happen. And yet he's also called... Elisha, which means God saves. And en route you have lots of episodes of God's wonderful mercy and kindness, even against this dark backcloth. Well, with that in mind, let us read again the second episode, verses 8 to 10. Once, when the king of Syria was warring against Israel, he took counsel with his servants, saying, At such and such a place shall be my camp. But the man of God sent word to the king of Israel, beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are going down there. And the king of Israel sent 
to the place about which the man of God told him. Thus he used to warn him so that he saved himself there more than once or twice. So um, Syria is sending um, some raiding parties to do some damage to Israel. But each time they seem to come unstuck and Israel don't show up or have moved on from the place where they go as Syrians. Well, how come this is happening? Well, Jehoram's men were getting some, if you like, some special intelligence about what the Syrian plans were going to be. You know, intelligence in warfare is a big help. You remember the Enigma codes of the Second World War? Think of uh, MI5, MI6, intelligence coming to thwart the plans, anticipate. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's a key help. Well, Israel haven't bugged the, uh, the Syrian headquarters. Uh, they haven't sent drones in to do a recce. They haven't actually got um, special spies dressed up as Syrians and mingling in to unfold the plans. Now, instead, Elisha, <laughs> the prophet, is being told by God the plans of the Syrians. And he's tipping off his own king, the king of Israel, with the result that he saves the skin of the king of Israel, if you like, several times. Why should the king of Israel be spared? Why should time and again God provide a way so that the king of Israel carries on. He's ignoring God. He's rejected God. And yet God in his kindness is very patient with the king of Israel. And he's very patient with us when we've gone against him. Some of us heard on Friday evening at the men's barbecue a testimony of somebody who had gone against God and his ways so many ways over the years and yet God was exceedingly kind and patient towards that person. And God is kind and patient, allowing for time for repentance. He is very patient, but not endlessly patient. Peter tells us about it in his letter later on in the Bible, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfil his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Are you failing in your responsibilities to live for God? Have you turned against him? Substituted him? Ignored him? And yet you still have many good things in your life, blessings. You have unexpectedly good health perhaps. Your standard of living is better than it perhaps ought to be. You have family love around you. You have the influence of genuine Christian family and genuine 
Christian friends. You've survived some close scrapes and yet you're still on your feet. You're here this morning. Allow the goodness of God to lead you to repentance. In your failings and failure, see the patience of God. Have your heart thawed. Turn to him. See it as an act of loving kindness and mercy. Kindness to a failing king. There's another one. Kindness to a frenzied servant. Got a few F's going down the middle here to help us remember it. Kindness to a, a frenzied servant. This is verses 11 to 19. Well, with all the sort of bungled raids, um, always being outwitted by the Israelites, um, the people of Israel, uh, the people of Syria rather, the people of Syria smell a rat, or rather smell a, a mole. They suspect that there's somebody inside their setup who is grasping and leaking information to the Israelites, passing on plans. But one Syrian officer seems to have caught on somehow to what's really happening. Perhaps he's got contacts in Israel, which actually feed back to him. And he says this in verse 12. One of his servants, this is the king of Syria, said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha the prophet who is in Israel tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. So Elisha suddenly becomes target number one for Syria. And they find out he's located about 10 miles north of Samaria at a place called Dothan. And he sends a huge army. Seems ironic, doesn't it, for one man, one religious man, maybe an older man, not sure of his stage. Uh, They send a, a huge army to get him. Reminds us of all that went towards Jesus when they arrested him. They travel by night and they surround the city. And in the morning, Elisha's servant gets up. He goes outside for some fresh air and what a sight greets him. He's surrounded. He's surrounded by a large army and some military vehicles, the chariots. And he comes back. How? In what mood? In what frame? He comes back in understandable panic. Verse 15. When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? Elisha aims to reassure this poor fellow. In verse 16 he says this, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Oh, that would take us to some New Testament verses if we had time, wouldn't it? Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. But we'll have to leave that. He also prays this prayer. Verse 17, Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. Opening eyes is quite a thing in this account, comes up a few times, a bit of a theme that comes through it. And Elisha prays that for his servant. 
And God kindly answers that prayer as we carry on in verse 17. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. That Oscar winning movie, Chariots of Fire, this is presumably where the name comes from in this verse. And the servant's eyes are open to see other armies around. There were forces and powers and armies on the scene that the Syrians knew nothing about and that up till now, Elisha's servant knew nothing about. But God in kindness opens a man's eyes and he sees these other forces, these spiritual realms on the situation. God in his kindness opens blind eyes. He does that in the first place for us when we become Christians and we see things that we never knew anything much about before. God, Christ, my need, forgiveness, uh, eternity, the grace of God, the cross, all these things so blurry and now we see we're like uh, the, the man who said to Jesus in the miracle, one thing I know, this, this man, uh, whilst I was blind, now I see. We sang about it in Amazing Grace. In Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. And you're so thankful, that's true for you, that God has opened your eyes for the first time in kindness to see the things that are there, which are so very real, the spiritual things, the things that really matter, but which you were just sort of blind to before. But it's also our ongoing need as we go through life, especially when we're frightened, when we're frenzied, when we're stressful. Now, one of the big prayers in this book I told you about, to pray big, one of the big prayers was the prayer from Ephesians 1 and verse 18. And that is a prayer really to open eyes. He prays there that the church may be having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which you have called. So that God would, in his kindness, help us to see the bigger picture, not just get lost in the frightening event. To see his plan, his force, his spiritual realm, his power, his sovereignty, the hope of our calling. And God, so often in his kindness, does do that, and we need him to do that. We, like the disciples, often get into a stew and a frenzy and a frightened, scared in our situation. And we need to see the things that we've become blinkered to. Maybe your own situation, for understandable reasons, would uh, spin you into a frenzy. Many of us find that's a problem. Maybe it's the national situation, maybe... It's the church situation, maybe it's a family situation, maybe it's your personal situation. Well, we need, won't we, what the servant received. We need the Lord increasingly in kindness to open the eyes of our heart, to see the whole scene, 
to include God in our mind, to see his purposes and promises. God's kindness to a frenzied servant. But perhaps the last of the things in these accounts is maybe the most uh, startling as we have kindness to a fearsome enemy. The last few verses. Kindness to a fearsome enemy. So, um, the Syrians then attack. Elisha has a prayer for them. He calls blindness on them. Verse 18. And when the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, please strike these people with blindness. God answers the prayer again. So he struck them with blindness, whether it's total, complete blindness or whether it's a blurriness, because they, they do get head off some, quite some distance in a minute. But they're struck with some form of blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. Well, their, their, their raid is finished really in one strike. They're hopeless, they can't achieve what they're going to achieve now. And Elisha then leads them away. He leads them away to where they need to go. Rather ironic that such a big army comes to Elisha in order to take him away captive or kill him. And instead, single Elisha is leading them away and they are led away to the city of Samaria, the capital of Israel, to where the king is. Well, Elisha then prays for them, for their blindness to disappear, and it, and it does. And there they are, surrounded by the capital city of Israel, uh, the king nearby, they think their time's up. And indeed, the, the king of Israel, when he sees the situation, tends to think they're there for the taking. You've seen the news about the prisoners of war in, in Russia facing execution, That's what the king of Israel wants. But that is not Elisha's take on the situation. Verse 22. He answered, you shall not strike them down. Would you strike down those you have taken captive with your sword and with your bow? He has a very different plan for them. It's an astonishing plan for this fearsome army. Let's carry on in verse 22. Set bread and water before them that they may eat and drink and go to their master. So he prepared for them a great feast and when they had eaten and drunk he sent them away and they went to their master and the Syrians did not come again on raids into the land of Israel. When they expected to be biting the dust instead they were biting a banquet They were fed and watered in style and sent back with full stomachs to the king of Syria. And quite a story they would have had to tell as well as they got got back to Damascus. Remarkable kindness and grace, isn't it? Totally out of the blue, totally unexpected. A feast for the army that were looking to kill Elisha. I came across this little account I often read the Dale Ralph Davis commentaries. And uh, there's just this little account from Second World War I found quite, quite nice. In the Market Garden Offensive in Holland during the Second World War, Lieutenant Long of the Glider Pilot Regiment was leading a fighting patrol through some heavy undergrowth. 
Suddenly he came face to face with a young German. Long opened fire with his revolver, but the German submachine gun dropped Long with a shot in his thigh. Long had only grazed the German's right ear. The German calmly sat on disabled Long's chest and sprayed the area with his submachine gun. As he did so, the hot shell cases would drop onto the neck of Long's clothes. An infuriated Long German pointed to the shell cases and hollowed their warm. And the German obligingly replied, Oh, yeah, and shifted his position so his shells didn't scorch Long. After the German ceased firing, he searched his captive and was on the verge of tossing away Long's first aid kit. Long, however, pointed to his thigh and the German pointed to his ear. With the firing continuing all around them, the two men bandaged each other's wounds before Long became a prisoner of war. Well, not quite feasting, but an act of kindness towards somebody who'd been trying to shoot you. Kindness to a fearsome enemy. And it's not the only time that God does that. In fact, it is quite a pattern in the Bible to see God's kindness to an enemy. Jesus prayed for his persecutors. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. Mephibosheth was sat at the king's table. And this is kindness which has reached to us enemies. Titus 3, few verses, but wonderful. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slave to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the kindness and loving kindness of God, our Saviour, appeared. He saved us, not because of works we've done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Saviour, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Perhaps you have been against God until now, if truth be told. Spiritually, really, you are in the enemy camp. You haven't had time for God. You've not wanted God in your life. Perhaps this account gives a glimmer of hope. The attention and kindness and grace of God to enemies. There's hope for you. Call out seeking the mercy of God, who is a God who is kind to his enemies. And doesn't such kindness move you as well? Aren't you amazed and wanting to do similar? When you think of that person who has damaged you so much this last week and caused you so much pain... Then you reflect on God's kindness to enemies and think, well, maybe I should pray for them. And maybe I should encourage them. And maybe I should be kind to them. And maybe I should give something to them. Because I serve a God who is so wonderfully kind to enemies. So we have then, don't we, a diamond 
into kings. A diamond of kindness with different facets. We've seen four reflecting wonderfully the kindness of God. And it's multifaceted and it's sparkling and it's impressive and it fills us with wonder and it's praiseworthy and it's encouraging and it's stirring. The sparkless kindness of God in 2 Kings chapter 6. Well, we're going to pick up that theme of kindness in our last song, which is, there is an everlasting kindness you lavished on us when the radiance of heaven came to rescue the lost. Let's sing our last song.
Oh Lord, we have uh, delighted uh, to see the wonderful beams of your kindness, the facets of your wonderful grace this morning in these different episodes as we've stopped to think about them. And we praise you for your grace and we're encouraged in our own need by your grace and we want to copy that spirit of compassion and grace towards others. So do thrill our heart with the things we've looked at this morning. Work in us and through us to your glory, we pray. Amen.